This is episode 16 with Jiaqi Pen, CEO and founder of Landbot. Welcome to Asian Tech Leaders. My name is Justin Peng, and each week we share insights from Asian tech leaders to help inspire and guide you to reach your full potential. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get started. Jiaqi Pan is the CEO and founder of Landbot, a no-code chatbot platform that empowers businesses to acquire, engage, and monetize customers in messaging channels. Landbot has over 50,000 customers, including Uber, L'Oreal, and LG. Prior to founding Landbot in 2017, Jiaqi was the CEO and founder of Halloumi, a B2C messaging platform for businesses to engage with their customers. In this episode, I chat with Jiaqi about his journey from China to Spain when he was young, how Iron Man and Robert Kiyosaki inspired his career path, and why being Chinese in Spain has its advantages and disadvantages. Hope you enjoy this conversation, and let's get started. Hey, Jackie. It's Justin. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited to chat with you today and you know just learn more about your story. Um, but thought it might be interesting to start with just your overall passion. You know, you've been working um, in the messaging space for a while. Uh, right now, you're the CEO of Landbot.io, which is really about helping businesses and enterprises build chatbots. Um, what is it about messaging that that has really kind of compelled you to spend so much of your time building solutions around that? Yeah, so um, it's a really good question. Um, when when we first started, we had a very similar experience to to Slack. Uh, I'm not sure if you know their founding story, right? So they were like kind of a gaming studio, and uh, they they wanted to build a multi uh, multiplayer uh, game uh, for people, but the game didn't went anywhere, and they they built a communication system out of that. So in our case, it was kind of similar. We were uh, like a consumer uh, business where we help people to get things done, right? Uh, they can ask us to get anything done, like booking a hotel, uh, buying grocery, whatever, and we will help them to, to get it done. And with that, we have kind of built a, um, also a communication system to help us to deliver our service. And in, in time, we see that the, the technology itself we have built is very, uh, is very powerful uh, also for other businesses, right? That's why we we try to uh, kind of uh, externalize that technology and helping other businesses to do uh, the thing we have done. And and the the thing about messaging is, I, th I think um, the whole thing about chatbot is really a a new way to engage with uh, customers. And it's all all started because of the change of behavior in in consumers, right? So I think ten years ago. People are like uh, using a lot of emails and uh, their the whole uh, like um, family or a friend communication are based in email. But today, like how many emails are you sending to your family? I, I'm not sending anyone, <laughs> right? And yeah. So every um, every single of our personal communication is now based on messaging, and I think that's very powerful. That's why um, we I want to build something. Uh, to make a business uh, also uh, being able to uh, join this uh, new new channel and engaging with customers. 
Mm, very neat. And I, I see that um, for landbot.io, there are roughly 50,000 businesses that have kind of been using it. What are some interesting use cases that you've seen come out of it? I'm, I'm sure there's been some uh, memorable ones. Yeah, there's tons of different use cases because we always define our solution like being the Lego of a bot building, right? So you, you can just building like uh, picking different uh, type of action uh, uh, the bot can do and then build a complete new use cases. Some mm. of the most common would be like uh, uh, people are trying to replace the forms with, uh, with a bot, like the typical contact form you see on a website. Well, instead of having a very static experience there, you can do things in a more conversational way. Uh, and the bot will uh, get your information and then even uh, use that information to personalize your experience. But also some other use cases and very related to the uh, COVID-19 situation. Right? We have um, lately been able to help many uh, NGOs to uh, provide services and um, allowing them to uh, spread information about coronavirus uh, and, and helping people to uh, understand what's the virus about, what's the situation, and how can they uh, even do some, uh, some sort of self-diagnosis. Self so this can, uh, can really help a lot of people, right? Uh, we even have uh, uh, an, an organization called uh, Doctors Without Borders, right? They are uh, doing kind of a mental uh, test for people to check like uh, whether you are happy, whether you are frustrated, you know, and then based on your mental or your emotion state, the boss will provide some sort of guidance to help you uh, maybe calms, calm you down or uh, provide any different type of tips. Yeah, very cool. And I, I think, you know, for you, both being kind of the founder and the CEO of the company, how do you think about it? Or what have been some of your favorite um, experiences as a consumer? Like, are there any, any messaging or chatbot experiences as a consumer that you particularly love and kind of use as your gold standard when you're going to enterprises? Wow, um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, things. So um, but, um, I, I think generally speaking, I, I'm taking a lot of inspiration from the uh, case of WeChat, uh, which is kind of the main messaging app used in China. And, and the, the messaging experience in, in WeChat is, I would say is much more advanced than, than the rest of the uh, world, right? So um, in, in WeChat, for example, you can easily go to uh, pick a brand, uh, uh, maybe McDonald's, right? And, and you can even, uh, like right away, uh, when you are uh, interacting with McDonald's, dif having different type of uh, options to uh, maybe ordering a burger or whatever, and the whole uh, ordering system is also integrated with payment option. So with one click, you can get your thing, uh, get your order done. So the the, the experience in, in WeChat it's so seamless. Like that's kind of the, the experience I believe we we need to build in in the West, right? Mm, yeah, makes sense. And you know, I I don't use uh, WeChat or even Kakao Talk. You know, all the Asian no? messaging mm -hmm. apps, but my wife does in my family do and um i've also just read a lot about you know how uh wechat especially is such a engaging um and universal 
um, ecosystem that yeah. has everything within it, right? So it's interesting yeah. to see kind of the divide between what messaging apps are doing in Asia versus uh, Europe and North America. Um, I think you know that's also a really good segue into kind of your personal background. So I, I see you know your education and your work experience is in Spain, but it'd be great if you could talk a little bit more about uh, where you're from, your upbringing, um, and and your roots. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm I, I was born and raised in China until I was ten years old, and. And then where I, I had an opportunity to go to Austria uh, because my, my aunt was there and she wanted to, uh, to adopt me. So uh, I, I went there and I studied uh, German uh, in, in Austria for three years. And then uh, my parents also come, uh, went to, to Spain and I kind of uh, wanted to join them uh, afterwards. So uh, since then I've been living in Spain for uh, almost 15 years. At this point, I think I'm more Spanish than Chinese. I think I'm <laughs> in my accent that I have a very Spanish accent. And my Spanish is fairly good, I would say. <laughs> so that's a good point. And I studied here. My, my, my background is electronic engineering. So when, when I was growing up, my, my personal idol was Tony Stark. Right, and I wanted to become Iron Man, so uh, I the electronic engineering because I want to build my my own robots in in one day. Yeah, but, uh, I think the reality quickly struck me when when I started the university. Like the kind of thing we were studying was so like far uh, of uh, the science fiction, you know, the the movies. So I I, I realized, oh well, for for me to have like a robot like Tony Stark did. The, there's like need to be so much changes in the in the industry, you know. <laughs> yeah. And and then one also another thing happened to me, which is kind of uh, why I'm now uh, building a startup instead of building robots, uh, which is I uh, I read a book called um, Rich Dad Poor Dad from yeah. Uh, Robert yeah. Um, very very interesting book. Uh, I, I would say it, it was kind of the, the first business book I have ever picked. I'm not sure whether it's that or it's the book itself, but it's like it has the magic to kind of a, like uh, change my whole mindset. You know, like when I was raising up and when I was growing up, uh, my my parents always told me in a very traditional uh, Chinese way, like, hey, you need to study hard. You need to find a good work. Uh, and then marry, you know, like very, very standard. Yeah, <laughs> um, so I, I followed the path. Uh, but once I read that book, I, I saw that there's another path. There's another way to do things, right? And I, I kind of want to control my own destiny. And I, I feel like it's um, uh, it's whether to choose that path or I will be like somebody very boring and doing stuff that. It, it will make me very regret not doing not taking the other path. And that's amazing. And at what point did you pick up that book or have that uh, mindset shift? Uh, I think it was like second year of my uh, my uh, my university. Yeah. Uh huh. And you know, it's one thing to read something, right? Because there's always great and inspirational content out there. But you know, for a lot of people 
knowing yeah. something is so different from actually applying it to your life. What were some of the forces and how strong were those forces that were actually saying, hey, are you sure you want to go start your own business and kind of take mm -hmm. a much riskier, um, at least economic move, um, as opposed to maybe some of your, your classmates who I'm sure ended up at, you know, bigger companies that might be a little bit yeah. more. Share a little bit more about what those kind of headwinds were and the forces that were kind of trying to pull you back from um, kind of following your dreams. Yeah, I think there are different things that definitely uh, influenced in my decision. Um, so one, on one hand, I'm like um, a person that likes to take action, right? So when, when I read something and it, it really got me thinking and I want to do things right away. So that's uh, definitely helped. Um, and, and the other hand is, I think when, when I started, uh, and I, I think it was like uh, six, seven years ago, right? Uh, or, or even more, I'm not sure. I lost the track of time. Uh, but um, there was like a, this very positive um, environment where the government and even the university itself is like uh, encouraging people to, uh, to run startups and build their own business, right? So, and there are a lot of uh, incentives, there are a lot of helps uh, that people can provide you to to build your business. So this definitely helped. Uh, in fact, uh, the like the 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 uh, very first company I built, uh, I, I built it with a, a, a business acceleration program where um, they they gave us uh, basically like two hundred k, two hundred thousand uh, euros to run the business. And it's it's like the the first time I saw that cut that amount of money and I thought, hey, I, I can really build something with that, right? Yeah, so you got a lot of encouragement from others and also being mm -hmm. an accelerator help. What about just like, you know, you kind of mentioned earlier your identity, right? You said mm -hmm. you're more Spanish and Chinese in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, when you're walking down the street in Barcelona, you're yeah. Chinese. So how do you, how do you, how does it, how does, how is your experience kind of as a visible minority, you know, even though you, you feel yeah. are yeah. Spanish in many more ways than you might be Chinese, how has that experience kind of shaped um, who you are and also how you run your companies? Wow, wow, that's a very uh, deep question. And, and I think there are different stages in my life where I noticed the, the thing about minority. First, uh, when when I first went to Austria, uh, Austria um, is a very I think closed uh, country. There's not so many immigrants, right? So uh, it felt immediately like I'm I'm like um, very different from the rest. And uh, initially, uh, it was quite hard for me to uh, to integrate into the culture and into the new environment. But I. I learned how to do that and I adapt. In uh, the second time when I went from Austria to, to Spain, it's a completely different environment because Spain is very open. Uh, Spain has a lot of uh, immigrants. So I'm, I'm, I'm not like um, very different because in fact, when I come to Spain, to the, to the uh, new school I went, there was already like dozens of uh, Chinese people there. So it didn't feel so different. Um, and definitely, um, once I started doing business, it's also another time where I, I saw the, the the change because, like, I'm I'm starting to do a lot of business uh, initially in in Spain, and there's not so many 
you know, a startup run by Chinese founders. <laughs> so when I start talking to uh, investors, they, they got a little bit uh, like um, strange because, hey, uh, why, why are you doing business here in, in Spain instead of in China, right? But then uh, when I started doing more international uh, business development, in fact, one of the last uh, funding we got was from an uh, international VC, you know, uh, and it's, again, very different because they are used to have uh, a lot of uh, experience with uh, international founders. Mm. So it sounds like, you know, at, at, on some hand, it's a little bit of a, it, it, it does make you, I guess, a bit more curious, you know, it makes people, it makes you stand out more, especially, um, I'm assuming in Spain, uh, which can can be good and kind of work to your advantage in some points. Um, what about even just with regards to recruiting, right? Obviously diversity is a really important issue, um, especially in tech and especially in more technical roles. How do you look at maybe, you know, not just ethnic diversity, but uh, diversity as a whole, as you're looking to build your team at Landbot? Yeah, very good question. So I, I think our company started as um, with a very diverse, uh, background just because i'm the i'm the like chinese founder and my my co-founders were like spanish right we, we already have a multi-culture <laughs> multinational culture there and when when we start growing and we realize that our customer base is like the international market we need to talk to people not only in spain but also in uk in the us and in many other countries it changed also our our, uh, our way to recruit people. We so we uh, we use English as our uh, main uh, language to communicate inside of the the company and the the way how we uh, share our uh, our stories and how we communicate with our customers all in English. That's why it's kind of also changed a lot the way how we recruit people. One of the main uh, uh, requirement we have is you you need to have experience uh, first you you need to have you need to speak well english right but secondly you need to have experience uh, uh, outside of spain because that's the level of uh, diversity we need to bring to the company mm, very cool and it seems like um when we actually just th look at kind of the global reach of your product it seems like it is the the customers that are using it are from all over the world is that correct yeah, we have people like from all around the world. We have people from Japan, from Korea, China, but well, only from Hong Kong because the mainline still got us blocked because yeah. of the technology we use. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of a very diverse uh, customer base. Yeah, very cool. Um, and as, as we're kind of uh, nearing on time, I wanted to kind of end with um, kind of some lessons and thoughts that you you've kind of observed over your life in your career. So one question I have is, um, you know, if you were to give advice to your younger self, let's say it's somebody who's just still in college or maybe even high school, what advice would you give them to help them figure out what they want to do with their work and career? Yeah. So um, I think the one of the best advice I have received, and definitely it's what I would give to my younger self, is um, understand the value of time, right? So um, when I was younger, I thought I have all the time in the world, I, and I can do whatever I want. And, 
but uh, when 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 you really start doing the business you 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 immediately see that the time is the biggest uh, constraint you have you don't have unlimited time you have very uh, limited time and you need to prioritize everything to know what to do with your time and in fact your biggest leverage uh, in order to grow the company is how to use that time uh, properly you know so if you invest time in things that doesn't matter in things that don't have the impact you you look for then you're wasting your time in you would never uh, reach to the to the level of uh, growth you need. Mm. And I guess on that, you know, like especially in 2020, getting mm -hmm. access to anything that you can think of is quite easy, right? You can go down a rabbit hole of a specific topic for, you know, days, weeks, months, if you want. Um, yeah. Question for you is, what has kind of been your guiding force for? Um, helping you figure out how to use your time, whether that's in academia or, you know, right now as you're working and running a business, what has kind of been, you know, the one or two principles that have helped you figure out, you know, what, what you should spend your time on? Yeah, I think uh, always start with your, um, so there's like two concepts. One is the, the hobby and the other is the passion. Okay. So hobby is like things you do in, when you have uh, some free time and you, you like to do that. And the other, I think, is when you uh, realize that there is something bothers you and you cannot stop thinking about it and you want to do something about that, mm -hmm. right? So uh, in order to invest my time, I either invest in hobbies because I want to do something and I like that, or I, I invest in passion because those are like the things that really I'm struggling and I want to do that well. And in fact, the, the whole um, idea of Lambot it came out of a problem we have observed in, in our own business. And we ultimately uh, built a solution to uh, solve that problem. And if that problem is uh, big enough and more people uh, is having the same problem, then you will able to provide a solution to those people and build a business around that. So I think that's definitely a key thing for us to uh, keep growing. So whenever we try to uh, add new features or build new solution, we always try to first think about hey, what's really bothering us. What's the kind of pain point we want to solve here uh, better than anybody else. And let's do uh, something unique uh, and good here. Right? Mm. And I think that's, a, that's really great advice. And it, you know, one question that comes up as you mentioned that is how do you have, how do you continue to have the focus and faith in your work and your, your mission as a company to keep going because it's also really easy to, you know, read something on TechCrunch or just see something on Twitter where you're like, actually, I don't know, can I do this? I, you're, it's such a competitive landscape yeah. that we live in now. Um, where do you and your team kind of find that motivation to just keep going or stay focused? Yeah, I think um, there's two to side on on this question. On one hand, is uh, like um, whether you should. Um, like continue uh, the, the path you have chose. Mm. Um, and, and the other is um, if you have choose it right or wrong, you know? Um, so I think for, for us to uh, keep having faith and keep pushing forward, we need to see, we need to have the sense of momentum. We need to get traction and get a certain level of a, uh, input that show us that we are doing things well. Otherwise, I think 
eventually uh, the, the the motivation will die out right so you need to see certain type of things that will keep you going in our case we always say hey let's try to set up a goal that uh, allows us to measure if we are progressing and we we see that uh, okay week after week month after month we are continually continuously to improve that then we are on the right path uh, and then the other is uh, whether you are choosing the right path because there are like uh, different ways to do things and to achieve your goals, right? How do you know if that's the right one or not? Well, you need to get sort of a feedback from, from people, from your customer, from your team, from your environment to see whether the path you have chose is the right one or, or the not right one. And, and then finally, it's about having a lot of conviction, you know? Like yeah. if you have the level of conviction and the, the thing you do uh, are getting the result, just push uh, as hard as you can. I think if you've done one thing and only one thing extremely well, uh, that thing alone can be huge, you know? Yeah, great advice. So having the conviction and then also just being the, having the openness to experiment and get that feedback and kind of like test your hypotheses, right? Whether it's about yeah. your, your own self and what you care about or even you know, the companies that you're building or, or the products that you're working on. Absolutely. Um, and then I, the last thing I want to touch on before we wrap up is no code. Um, okay. For those who haven't heard of it, because you know it's a relatively new concept for myself, what is the whole no code movement? How would you kind of characterize that? Yeah. Um, I, so I, I think no code, the, the name no code is definitely something new. But yeah. the trend itself is not uh, something uh, new because uh, so if you think about a lot of uh, services in the past really is kind of a no code. For example, the uh, AWS, right? They are helping developers to uh, being able to manage the, the complexity of servers without having to code everything. There are a lot, they are offering a lot of solutions like um, point and click and drag and drop and people can get everything done uh, setting up servers, yeah. right? This is already kind of a no-code. But mm. the latest, uh, I, I think, uh, progress we are having with no-code is like the level of complexity of software development is being even uh, uh, further down to the, uh, to the, uh, to the uh, segment of people that previously don't have any technical knowledge and now they are also able to build a software, right? So think about uh, maybe uh, somebody working in marketing, somebody working in, in sales, uh, who, who maybe uh, have always been like uh, depending on uh, developers to uh, like de build uh, whatever they want to do. But now they have all the tools to make that happen all by themselves. Right, and, and the main advantage uh, the no code train is uh, giving us is, I think, speed. So people don't have to uh, wait and uh, building things uh, like for months, but rather in, in days or even weeks. And then the cost of uh, uh, building it is like drastically uh, lower because you don't have to hire developers. You just pay maybe a few uh, hundred bucks or uh, even lower for a solution that can help you to do that things, right? And then yeah. there's a lot of iteration based on the feedback you are getting. So maybe you are 
building a, a simple website in, in two, two days. And then you see that the content of the website is not people are looking for it. You can right away change it. And uh, the, uh, the next week, you already got a completely new website. And you are getting a lot more uh, feedback uh, from people using that website. So that's, I think, the, the changes uh, uh, from the no-code movement. Yeah, I was just going to say, for anybody who's interested, highly recommend checking out the landbot.io slash blog, because I've, I've seen some kind of thought leadership there, especially if, you know, if you're interested in building a chatbot. Um, the, the thing that's really exciting about just the entire no-code um, kind of uh, buzzword that at, at least mm -hmm. is going around is it's really helping to democratize building stuff, right? And for somebody like me who doesn't have a technical background, but has a lot of ideas rattling around in my head, there's really no excuse just to, at the very least, create a prototype. Yeah. Uh, and Land Landbot's definitely doing that in the chat space. Um, so with that, maybe just want to you know, thank you, Jackie, and kind of um, say thanks for all you're doing, especially in the uh, Asian technology community. Um, Asian Spanish community as well. You know, I'm yeah. sure there is one, as, even though I'm not as familiar with um, with it. But thank you for all that you're doing, and also just joining us today. Um, to wrap up, is there any kind of last words of wisdom you'd like to share with um, listeners? And then, secondly, where can people find you if they want to just keep in touch? Oh, people can find me uh, on LinkedIn, just uh, searching for uh, Jackie uh, Jackie Pan. Uh, I, I, and I think I'm, I'm on the, the first few. Uh, the one with a red shirt, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and maybe to wrap up, and uh, because I, I believe the main audience here are people who is starting out and maybe they're st still studying, right? And uh, to, to start your own project, uh, I think the, the best way to do that is find a, a good teammate that really believes in your vision and uh, can share the journey with you. Um, one of, uh, I think, my um, like biggest uh, regret in my first uh, startup is like not uh, thought enough about how, who I do want to work with. And uh, mm. eventually the, the project failed, even with like a lot of funding we had in, in, the, uh, in the company, right? So I think people, and especially the co-founders, is for the for the first few years in the company. Yeah, that's great advice. I think it's it's really easy to just kind of keep it all in your head and try to keep your initial ideas to yourself. But you're right; it always helps to have a thought yeah. partner to go through it. And I'm sure you know better than anybody. Running and starting a company is not easy, so it helps to have a partner in crime with that. Um, so again, thanks again, Jackie, for joining us, and thanks to all the listeners for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Asian Tech Leaders. Please share this with your friends and follow us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform. Looking forward to our next conversation. And until then, take care.